welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. Oh, were you trying to do a ooh, yeah. that kind of thing? Okay, cool, man. Um, <laughs> this week is uh, uh, sadly, but surely, our last week of Spoopy Month. So uh, I will be showing Scott uh, another Spoopy movie this week. I'm excited to talk about this one. It's another one that was really fun to watch Scotty watch for the first time. So, Scotty, why don't you tell the people... What we watched today. Well, this week we dove back into the werewolf hole. Werewolf hole? Yeah, that's is that, is that That's a new term. <laughs> Dubbed by Shoot the Flick, a werewolf hole. Yes, the werewolf hole. We watched an American werewolf in London. Released in 1981. And it was a jaunt. Can't you just imagine that American <laughs> werewolf just visiting Piccadilly? It was indeed a jaunt. Um, <laughs> this is like one of the big classic, I would say, iconic horror movies. And I knew that I had to show Scott this movie at some point, even before we ever did this show. I was like, Scotty has to see this movie. It's so great. And now we're here. And I'm really, really excited about it. So American Werewolf in London has a lot of cool historical things about it in the the world of cinema but one thing it's really well known for is for starting the dark horror comedy wave of the 1980s you know we have movies like beetlejuice which we did a review on we got like killer clowns even which we did a review on we got evil dead 2 gremlins all these kinds of things that perfectly balance horror with comedy even we just talked about last week, The Addams Family, even though that came out in the 90s. But it seems that the horror comedy boom really can be traced back to this film. Well, horror comedy is such a weird thing. It feels like there are two competing ideals almost. But it seems to work, crazily enough, more often than not. Did you feel like the the horror comedy balance worked for you in this particular movie, Scotty? It started out a little rough. It definitely felt like the comedy was, how do I say, a little half-baked. But, like, once the horror kind of kicked in, it felt like it got smoother. Well, this film was written and directed by John Landis, who is mainly known for comedy. Coming to America... Animal House. In fact, the tagline for this movie was, and I quote, the director of Animal House brings you a different kind of animal. You know, so it was really marketed on the fact that this comedy guy is delving into horror and what the fuck's going to happen. It kind of reminded me of what Jordan Peele is today. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. This was right in between Blues Brothers, which came out the year before this, and Trading Places. It's a very weird trio of movies when you think about it. Yes, it's super strange. I would agree with you that the the balance of the comedy and horror is interesting. There are times when it really works, and then there are times where it feels a little awkward. For example, there are points in the movie where like they'll just stop the drama part just for like a bit 
that seems almost out of place, but like it's just kind of thrown in there. Like it almost seems like it's left over from some other script or something. And they're like, oh, we can just put that bit in here. Like we couldn't fit it into Blues Brothers, but we can put it in here. Well, yeah, there's times where our main character, I don't know if he's the best actor. Well, the, we'll talk about that, but he, just, he is known really mainly only for this. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, there's times where maybe a more seasoned actor could have made that this transition more like, fluent between horror and comedy. Yeah, I would say maybe he. I feel like some, not all of the humor, but a, a good chunk of the humor is centered around David being just kind of a goober, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Some of it really works. There's one point where like this character. I don't think we're giving anything away by saying this character eventually turns into a werewolf because werewolf is literally in the title what so there's one point where he is already a werewolf but doesn't realize that he is yet and he is outside and just a dog is barking at him like crazy and these little girls are laughing at him because this dog's barking at him i don't know and then the girls walk away with the dog and <laughs> david just turns around very awkwardly he's like thanks dog <laughs> like thanks a lot dog and i'm like what the fuck it's just very like awkward but like that's part of the humor i would say is that david is a big goober and a nerd you know and a dork like that stuff works well but then there's other things like just the way he talks to like other characters in the movie i don't know if you're necessarily taking this seriously or are you trying to joke about you're going crazy or like I think maybe that's accurate that the main character who played David, there are two male leads in this movie, but the guy who plays David, who's like the main main lead, I would say, maybe he is a little too inexperienced because both of our male leads, this is one of their first roles for both of them. But I, I feel like that was probably a choice by Landis to get to relatively unknown people in these main roles, which I think ultimately worked out for the best there are so many iconic things about it uh one of which being the the score on the soundtrack the score was done by elmer bernstein who is a landis regular but he also developed the ghostbusters theme so i felt necessary to bring that up the score is pretty great in this movie the soundtrack though is like full of ops and we're going to talk about that as we go along with the plot as well there's a lot of moon themes in the soundtrack obviously for clear reasons there are three, count them, three versions of Blue Moon in this movie, <laughs> all by different artists. I, I think from what I read, they tried to get the Elvis version and the Bob Dylan version, but they couldn't for whatever reason. So they, they had to settle for other versions, but I, I like how they did it. They did certain versions, certain paces for different points in the movie. The first one is kind of jarring. I remember for Scott when he watched it, he was very confused. Yeah, because it starts off with these beautiful hills and like it's a very slow opening credit sequence and then you have Bobby Vincent's version of Blue Moon which is very like soft and old-timey. Oh, and yeah. you're like, "Wait a minute. <laughs> what is this? I don't know what this is." But of course, we have to mention another very iconic aspect of this movie, which is the makeup American Werewolf in London actually won the Oscar for Best Makeup, and it was the first year that that category existed. 
well deserved. So it, it's iconic in that respect that it was the first recipient of the Best Makeup Award at the Oscars, and the recipient was a man by the name of Rick Baker, who was an iconic makeup oh, effects yeah. artist. This was his first of seven makeup Oscars, uh, and he was, I think, nominated for a bunch more. He holds the record, though, for makeup Oscars that he's won, and he retired back in 2015. But I would like to uh, share with you the six other movies that he won makeup Oscars for, and you can get the vibe of who this guy is, okay? So we got Harry and the Hendersons, Yeah. which, if you don't know, it's a Bigfoot movie. Okay. <laughs> I think it was like a kitty movie. It I, is, yeah. Yeah, I never saw it. I just know of its uh, legends, you know. Uh, we got Ed Wood, which yeah. is an iconic movie that, uh, P.S., I, I, I need to show Scott. So eventually we'll do, maybe maybe next Halloween, we'll do an Ed Wood episode. Uh, we got Eddie Murphy's Nutty Professor. We mm-hmm. got Men in Black. Yeah. We got the Jim Carrey Grinch. Yeah. And last but not least, we have 2011's The Wolfman, which yeah. is ironic seeing as how both his first and last makeup Oscars were for werewolf movies. That is very true. He's a legend in this circle in general. Like, he's named even... Just seeing it, like, you see John Landis' name, you know John Landis, but you see his name, you know his name. Yeah, there are a lot of iconic names in this movie, both in front of him, behind the camera, but what I'll say also is that it's all practical, the effects, which is so appreciated. There is a particular sequence in this movie, which is, like, iconic, and we're going to talk about it at length because it's, like, one of the best practical effect sequences of all time at least that's how it's widely considered and and i would include myself in that opinion same and it's funny because the one thing well not the one thing but one of the many things that this movie is applauded for is its use of practical effects and there is a sequel to this movie that John Lannis was not involved in i believe he tried to do a script and then it was rejected for whatever reason but it, it didn't work out. And then they released in 1997 an American werewolf in Paris. It was a complete bomb. It's terribly rated on Letterboxd, but I did watch it anyway for science. And it was really bad. It's basically because, you know, it was really big in the late 90s, dear road trip movies and gross out comedies. Oh, sounds about right. It reminded me of Euro Trip, honestly. And I love Euro Trip. But it reminded me of Eurotrip just bad with CGI werewolves. CGI werewolves, guys. In 1997. So just picture 90 CGI. And then that's what we had. It, it was rough. <laughs> well, the Legacy sequel is a whole thing. Once you hit a certain... This is a whole sidetrack conversation. Once a movie hits a certain point and you are past like five years. Once you make a sequel after five years later... It never feels like it's right. Well, yeah, because usually the interest is significantly lower. But you, there are so many examples of stuff like that. So it's it's a bummer because this was genuinely like a really solid property that could have been spun off in so many interesting ways. But the other thing is, though, I feel like this ended so well. It did. It was wrapped up so nicely mm-hmm. in a bow. Yes. That even if like it didn't need it, but if they were gonna do it, but even if Landis got a chance to do a sequel, Mm -hmm. I have no idea what his plans would have been. I just don't know if anything would have made 
a significant impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they definitely had a tough hill to climb, the people that made the sequel. But um, yeah, they didn't. I mean, it's, I don't want to go into the whole thing. They didn't even try to really connect it to the original or make it make sense. It just, it was a mess. But well, you had it's the, fine. <laughs> baby werewolves. It was right there. I mean, I feel like they thought about doing that, but then they went another direction and they forgot to go back and change the implications to be, it's so confusing. It's bad, guys. I, w- I was hoping maybe it would be fun bad. It's not. So yeah, I'm I'm like ready to get into this. Are you ready? I'm really excited. I can't wait to talk about oh. the cool shit in this movie. Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk about the cool shit either. So I'm definitely down to go. Let's go. <laughs> we're going to do it. Okay, so like we were saying before, we get the opening credit sequence with the blue moon. That's our first blue moon of the movie. And we get the introduction of our main duo, our, our main guys here, David and Jack. And these are a couple of backpackers from New York, and they're going through the moors of Yorkshire. Oh, well, Yorkshire. I think it's Yorkshire in, in yeah. England. Every character these two idiots meet. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck. E- every right s- off the bat, we're calling them idiots. They're idiots. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> but every- I like them, though. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're lovable idiots. <laughs> exactly, but they're still idiots. But every character these two meet go, stay on the road. Don't go into the moors. Every single character they've met. Okay, yeah, in the beginning of the movie, right. And what do these idiots do after a while? Don't stay on the road. (laughs) They go into the moors and things happen. Okay, I get you. You're you're not wrong. So um, David, who is our main main character, is played by a guy named David Naughton. And like I said, he is mostly known for this. Uh, I was looking through his IMDb and most of the other things he's done, or at least a lot of things, are a reference to this. What a shock. For example, um, he's in <laughs> he's in Sharknado 5, apparently. I know. There's five of them. I've seen the first one. I know there were sequels, but five? I've seen two. Five, though? Five? Is that it? Are there only five? Who knows? We could say. But, um... He his character in that is Ambassador Kessler, who David's last name in the movie is Kessler. There's also another uh, callback to this role. Now, when you saw David in the movie, Scott, you said he looked familiar. Yes, he did look familiar. Do you, have you placed him yet in your mind? No. Okay. Well, I have an idea of maybe where you might know him from. Maybe. Okay. If your obsession for psych is as hardcore as my obsession with supernatural, okay. Here's where you might know him from. And I actually today, I did the research on my own and I rewatched this episode of Psych. Okay. <laughs> he was in an episode in season four. I believe the title was like "Let's Get Hairy" or something. Yeah, it's a werewolf episode. Is it right. the where he? It's the werewolf episode. Oh my episode. god! Is it the one where? Okay, is it the one where the guy is like tricked that he thinks he's a werewolf? Yes, okay. he plays the psychiatrist who's I, the bad guy I, okay. who tricks his basic not tricks. I mean, the guy's mentally ill, but he like lets him believe he, that, he's, that a he's a werewolf so he could get away with murdering people. Is essentially the premise of the episode. I was looking for him. I'm like, okay, it's, IMDb says he's in this episode. Where is he? And then he just shows up as a psychiatrist sitting in it. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> so that might be where you yeah, recognized probably, him from. It's probably it. 
But yeah, that again is a reference to this. They even had a scene in the episode where the mental patient who believes himself to be a werewolf has like an episode and he shows up at the psych office naked with balloons covering his junk like in this movie. I do remember that. So yeah, I just thought that was really funny. And then we get Jack, who is David's best friend, and he's played by Griffin Dunn. Now, Griffin Dunn has a bit more of a career than David Naughton. We actually talked about him on an episode of Shoot the Flick in the past. He was Mr. Bixler in My Girl. Oh, God. He was the teacher that Veda was in love with. And he also, he is a director, and he directed a, a spoopy movie, so I had to watch that. He directed Practical Magic. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And I I watched that recently, and it's a pretty good movie. It was fine. I enjoyed it. But yeah, one thing I wanted to mention about the casting of this movie with our our dudes here. All right, so the role of David, actually, someone else is being considered for that role. Okay. Our good friend of the show, Michael Beck, was being considered (laughs) for the role of David in this movie. Now... If you know who Michael Beck is, we've discussed him on the show as well. We did an episode on the Warriors with our good friend Antonio from the Cultworthy podcast. And we talked about Michael Beck. He's the main guy in that movie. Landis actually saw him in the Warriors and was like, I want that guy to be my David. But the studio said no because of what, Scott? What's the other movie with Michael Beck that we talked about with Antonio? Oh, Xanadu. Yes. The studio was like, no, we don't want the guy from Xanadu in this movie. (laughs) And they were like, no. Now, ironically, both David Naughton and Griffin Dunn both auditioned to be Sonny Malone in Xanadu (laughs) (laughs) and didn't get the role. So isn't that kind of like a funny little tale? Hey, if one of them got the role, who knows what would have happened? Who knows what would have happened? We could have had a little musical chairs we could we, we could have had musical chairs in these two movies what's her name could have uh, not broken her coccyx and oh poor olivia newton john rest in peace um but yeah like shout out to antonio on the cult worthy podcast he's oh, yes. awesome yes and if you want to hear us talk about xanadu we did an episode on his show talking yes. about xanadu and another movie. weird 70s musical movie called the apple it's really crazy but yeah please go check it out because it's awesome but yeah those are our two main guys and uh, there, are, there are a couple of jokesters. There are a couple of typical dude bro friends they, who are nerds. <laughs> they feel right at home in the John Landis comedy. For sure. Sometimes to the detriment of the movie at times. What do you mean? Sometimes you feel like it's too... Like, like they're joking around too much? Too, yes. Okay. Like it's not like bad, but it's just sometimes you're like, okay guys, come on. Well, I remember there was one point where... Th- I think they were just kind of establishing like their friendship or whatever and just like establishing the vibe in the beginning of the movie and they're just walking through the village or whatever bullshitting and making jokes and they just kind of held on them while they were walking away and joking with each other and you were like okay why are we holding on move on (laughs) this joke is going on too long well yeah it's kind of that kind of situation well it kind of made me feel like uh there's a joke in uh scrubs where they're like Oh, God, I hate the thing where people just keep driving farther away, but you can hear them like they're right next to you. Right. Yeah, it was kind (laughs) of like that. So the movie picks up rather quickly, I think, though, because night falls and the boys end up at a pub called The Slaughtered Lamb. Which has a picture of a 
a wolf with a sword through its head. Yeah, which, I mean, it's very bloody and very gruesome, which should have probably been a clue. It kind of was to Jack. Jack was like, what kind of advertisement is this for a pub? But they go in anyway because it's freezing, you know, because England. They go in and they immediately kind of get bad vibes. There's a pentagram on the wall. (laughs) Everyone is is dead silent the second they walk in there, giving them looks. (laughs) Eventually, David's just like, all right, maybe we should just go. And the barmaid uh, is immediately like, we can't just let them leave. And all the guys in the bar are like, get the fuck out of here. Stay on the road, kid. Don't go into the moors. Mind the moon, the full moon. Well, yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, like, Frankie mentioned there was a pentagram on the wall. And Jack's like, I want to know why there's a pentagram on the wall. And David's like, no. Shut the fuck up, Jack. If, like, stop being annoying. If Jack doesn't bring up this pentagram, nothing goes wrong. They <laughs> keep arguing about it. It's kind of, yeah. It's, and that's another joke probably that goes on a little too long. Because they keep arguing about whether they're going to say something about the pentagram. And then Jack finally just goes, hey, what's with that star on the wall? <laughs> and everyone goes dead silent. Uh, but yes, our boys leave the bar. After being told to stay on the road, and immediately it starts raining, and they get off the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, long story short, they feel themselves being kind of circled and watched by some creature. They hear growls and howls in the distance, and then all of a sudden they're running because they feel this animal is or whatever it is is on their tail. David falls over. Jack stops to help him up and kind of like, come on, David, you know, come on, let's go. And then immediately he's attacked by some wild animal and he is thrown to the ground, immediately blood spurting everywhere. And David takes off. David runs. But you had a problem with this. You're bloody like. But listen, in the moment, okay. You're not always thinking clearly. You fight or flight, and it's a fucking huge, furry, vicious thing. It makes sense why he would run in the beginning, but then he runs a little bit, and he's like, "Oh my god, Jack!" And then he goes back. So I feel like that's a realistic response. I guess, but like he was scared and he ran. Like his first instinct was to run, and then it hit him that like Jack was back there. Yeah, yeah. and of course, by the time he gets back, Jack's a bloody mess. Like he's well, gone. Jack's dead. Yeah. yeah, he's he's done. And then, of course, David gets attacked, but then the townspeople show up and shoot the fucking shit out of the wolf. Correct. And before David passes out, he turns around and he sees the beast that attacked them, only it's not a really furry, crazy, dirty monster. It's just a naked guy (laughs) who's bloody and dead. And we skip forward a month. (laughs) Yeah. Three weeks later, uh, David actually wakes up in a hospital in London. And I thought it was so sad. He kind of like is coming out of it and he's calling out for Jack. And the nurse is like, oh, it's sweetie. He's not here. <laughs> he's dead. Um, he is dead. You were attacked by a madman. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. The locals from the pub apparently reported to the police that an escaped lunatic attacked the boys. But David insists that it was uh, a wild animal, a now, wolf. Now, this is something I want to talk about here real okay. quick. David is, what, 20? 21? Uh, yeah, I would say college-aged, maybe. Yeah, Okay. sure. Hypothetically, we were backpacking in London. Mm-hmm. And 
one we of, wouldn't be going off road in like the fucking moors of bumblefuck no, by we the way be. we would be in london town exactly but let's just visiting big ben and doctor who well, like we would not be exactly but let's just fucking like, around with some sheep in a truck exactly. on the side of the road no thank you but let's say we were as dumb as david and jack okay don't call him dumb jack <laughs> is dead <laughs> It's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fine. Uh, but let's say we did what they did. Okay. One of us died and one of us was in a coma for three weeks, let's sure. say. Sure. Which, by the way, why is his parents not there? Exactly. Oh, is that what you're going to say? <laughs> oh, my bad. I fucking ruined your moment. No. Why are his parents there? Because we get a detective, right? A detective comes in basically to uh, tell David, like, what happened, quote unquote, and like kind of wrap up his investigation. And when David's like, it was a fucking wolf or something. And the guy's like, well, you were in a coma for three weeks, so I don't really trust what the fuck you were saying and then you get this uh like embassy guy who comes to see him as well and he's like i've been in contact with your parents by the way the embassy guy is played by frank oz muppet king himself and he's like he's so awkward (laughs) he's like mr kessler i don't know why you're so upset (laughs) he does like a weird voice you're like what are you doing frank oz it's like what sir you don't know why he's upset (laughs) you just told him that his friend is dead and he's in a weird hospital he's been out unconscious for three weeks but yeah like what do you mean yeah but where i was going like so let's say one of us even if you or me it doesn't matter one of our parents would be on a plane yes well that's because the embassy guy was like oh i've gotten permission from your parents to or like i spoke to your parents but and it's like why aren't his parents here it's not like this just happened yesterday it happened three weeks ago. yeah he's been in a coma for three weeks so you're telling me that your parents just like couldn't get it oh well (laughs) sucks for you buddy like what the fuck like i understand he has two younger siblings we find out later in the movie right, but one of you can go exactly and like later jack because uh spoiler alert jack comes back is a weird zombie thing we'll talk about it but he says oh to david oh your parents went to my funeral so they know that jack is dead and that their son went through an incredibly traumatic experience and almost died and you didn't even like show up like what excuse me what kind of fucking people are you but not only that like let's uh, even go on david here you've now been through this traumatic experience where your friend has died and you've been in a coma for three weeks but you know what i'm gonna continue my london trip well i don't think it was really i don't know if it was thought that much i don't know We'll, we'll get there when we get there um so we meet David's doctor, Dr. Hirsch, who's played by John Woodvine. And we also meet the nurse, Alex, who's played by Jenny Agutter. I don't know if that's how you say it. It's literally her name is A and then Gutter. So I'm going to say it like that. Aguta. <laughs> but she is actually, she's actually been in other things that I recognize. She did Logan's Run five years before. Ah. She was the lead in Logan's Run. Uh, she also was in another spoopy movie called Child's Play 2. Ah. She played Andy's foster mom. Oh, oh, that is her. Okay. And uh, apparently, you know, in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Yes. When Natasha has like the mask. Yes. And she rips it off as like the old, like yeah. the older, like yes, diplomat yes, lady. Yes, yes. Uh, that's her. Ah. The diplomat lady or whatever she is. I'm sorry. Did I step on your moment? 
that's uh, this Jenny, a gutter lady. Um, <laughs> it sounds so bad when I say it like that, but that's how the name is spelled. What do you want from me? Um, but immediately, Alex and David have some chemistry. Oh, yeah. And we love the chemistry between them. I really like them. They're uh, no, really I cute. Think, I think they, they are very cute together. She reads to him and she feeds him because he's not hungry. Because, you know, he doesn't get served any human hearts at the hospital. So he's not hungry well, yeah, right now. <laughs> well, we get weird moments of, like, David running naked in the field. Yeah, he has some weird fucking dreams and in like, the hospital. Well, you're thinking, like, is this a dream? Is he out of the hospital? Like, because it's not made clear at first. But I like that. I like that you don't know exactly what's going on. Because you, you kind of feel like you're in David's shoes a little bit. Because when you're in a dream, you don't. You don't feel yourself going into a dream. That's true. It just it just happens, and like you know what I mean. So that's what it felt like. There's one where he's running naked through the woods, and then he eats a deer heart. Then there's one where he's just sitting at home with his family in New York. Which, by the way, later on in the movie, he calls home and he like tells the phone like the operator his phone number and it's uh the same area code that we had when we lived in new york so we were like ah he lives in our neighborhood he's around there (laughs) in our neck of the woods or at least our former neck of the woods yes but um yeah he, he there's one where he's just sitting at home with his family and then all of a sudden, some fucking like crazy people with guns burst in with well, like wolf masks on and just obliterate everybody. Oh, is that what they were? I thought they were like Nazi monsters. Oh, I thought they were. No, I'm pretty sure they were wearing. At least some of them were wearing masks that uh, were like I thought they wolfish. Were, I thought they were monsters. I mean, that's possible too. It was kind of like dark and spooky. The dream sequences. So. Um, but there's also some fake outs like there's one where he wakes up in the hospital and Alex comes in and comforts him and then the fu- one of the fucking psychos comes in and like stabs her and it's like it's good it's good shit it's good old fashioned spooky scary shit yeah but he does also get a dream where he's being talked to by a dead jack well, well did you think that it was a dream at first well you, when Jack showed up? No, you don't know what to believe. I guess, because you just... Yeah, I guess that's the point of it. So, okay. We get an undead Jack who shows up, right? And he looks great. The effects are great. He lo- his face is all slashed and shit, and he's bleeding, and it's awesome. Well, yeah, the best part of it is his neck. His- yeah, his whole jugular is, like, ripped the fuck out. And I think there's some points where you, it's like a close up on him and you can really see like the blood flowing down his fucking neck. It's in like through the open wound. It's really it's fucking awesome. Essentially, he shows up in the hospital with David. And I guess that makes sense because he's had all these weird dreams before. So you don't know if it's a dream, I guess. But anyway, Jack does show up and he tells David, listen, we got attacked by a werewolf. I am now cursed to walk in limbo basically uh not dead not alive just a weird zombie limbo guy until the wolf's bloodline is severed meaning because david was bitten by the werewolf so david has to die in order for jack to be able to move on so david you should kill yourself it's all true the undead surround me have you ever talked to a corpse it's boring I'm lonely. Take your life, David. Kill yourself. Before you kill others. 
he does show up multiple times throughout the movie, Jack. And every time he shows up more and more decayed. It's, again, just a great show of the effects. And as he is decaying, I guess, Jack's patience is is wearing thin. But in this first conversation, he's like, listen, the, the full moon is in two days. Because remember, he's been asleep for three weeks. So in two days, full moon, you got to kill yourself before that. David is like screaming and upset. Alex hears him from down the hall. So she runs in. And when she runs in, Jack is gone. She goes to comfort David. And he turns around and, and plants a big old kiss on her. Oh, yeah. He pulls a sandlot. Not a sandlot. In a sandlot, he played dead. He wasn't playing dead. Playing crazy, playing oh, dead. Oh, he's. I don't think he's playing crazy. He's pretty fucking crazy at this point. That's yeah, true. But um, David basically tells Alex everything that just happened. He's like, look, Jack was here and he said that I'm a werewolf and I'm freaking out. And she's worried about his mental state, but also she is very turned on and attracted to him. She says that to his face multiple times throughout this movie. She's like, I don't, you're like so sweet, but also sad. Like, I don't know how to feel bad for you or fuck you or both. I think I'm going to do both. (laughs) Alex, Alex, there's one rule. There's one rule. Oh, geez. You don't fuck crazy. I mean, you do all the time. You turn out just fine. (laughs) But listen, like... But we're both crazy, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, fine. So, despite the fact that she has now watched him... I mean, this guy... Whether you think he's a werewolf or not, because which, why would you think this guy's a fucking werewolf? You've known him for maybe a few days, a week, or whatever. However long he's been at this facility, conscious, right? So you know that he's in some way at least very very traumatized fucked up like he's been through a lot of shit and he's not handling it probably very well so your response as a nurse which i don't think this is ethical as a nurse like i know i didn't go to nursing school but i'm pretty sure this is unethical she offers to have him stay at her apartment after he gets discharged and immediately they bang which on one hand, it's very hot. The, the sex scene does have some 70s sleaze kind of peppered throughout. This whole movie has a little 70s sleaze. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But, like, I'm not mad at it because they are really cute together and, like, they genuinely... Like, David is a nice guy. Like, if David was anybody else right if he was just some let's just say some really mentally ill person who was saying that he thinks he's a werewolf and he's seeing dead people like i don't care how hot he is maybe don't take him to your house well also because you don't really know this guy and you're a nurse it just seems unethical to do that well, but yes. you know whatever well also it seems a little unethical for you know a guy who suffered this great trauma and is clearly like oh we have this story of what happened no it was a wolf no i'm a werewolf no i'm seeing dead people how are we discharging this man well what do you mean he's he's fine (laughs) he's fine now scotty but yeah i mean because it's david and he does have a charm to him i mean despite the fact that he is a goober i mean he wears this like puffer vest with like a fanny pack on and like he's a he's a big old dork but you know yeah. dorks dorks are cute right scott uh, yeah they are dorks are cute well, you know so, if you look at the cover of the poster of this movie you'll see the puffer jacket 
Yeah, well, the the two of their... That's like an iconic image from the movie. Yeah, the two of them in their red and green puffer jackets walking along the countryside looking so American. Yes, one's Mario, one's Luigi. Oh, but- jeez. On one hand, I, I root for this relationship because they're really cute and they have good chemistry. On the other hand, it's pretty much doomed from the start. And in real life, if this sort of thing happened, it would be very, very bad. <laughs> it would be very ill-advised. But it's fine for this. It's fine. It's 1981. Times were different then. Times were different. <laughs> you could take home a clearly mentally disturbed, traumatized patient and bang him in your shower. You it's could, fine. It's fine. You can hitchhike in New Jersey. It's fine. Oh, God. <laughs> Shit. Um, <laughs> um, so that night, after uh, some rockin' sex between Alex and David, uh, Jack returns, even more decayed. He looks like a full-blooded like zombie now, for sure. Well, yeah, now he looks like he's like bloated and he's yeah, green. He's, yeah, it's really, it's gross, man. And he's like, listen, I'm not having a fun time here. You're not real. I don't be a putz, David. And that's like the John Landis comedy where it's it's balanced really well because you have this obviously very zombified dude, very scary situation, but then you have him just talking to his buddy like it's just a normal every day of the week, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just, I, I loved that and I feel like that... In the beginning, even though maybe it was a little slow and a little like wonkily set up, their relationship and them busting each other's balls in the beginning kind of sets you up for this comic payoff now where it's like the zombified Jack is giving David shit like he would on any normal Tuesday. Except now he's a zombie and David's a werewolf and it's totally fine. Everything's fine. But yeah, Jack basically tries again to convince David like, hey, you got to fucking kill yourself because the full moon's tomorrow night and you're going to get fucked here. And so are other people, like innocent people. And he, again, David talks about it with Alex and she kind of just, you know, she, I I like their relationship because she doesn't just tell him that he's crazy they like talk about it because she does think that it's like in his head and that he david feels guilty for jack's death so it's just a manifestation of that and she essentially convinces him like it's all in his head and you know everything will be okay so she has to go to work yes the next morning alex goes to work and david ends up just hanging out in the apartment alone and we get another really kick-ass song on the soundtrack (laughs) Yeah, we get Bad Moon Rising. Love that song so much. It's a great song. We get basically the whole song. Basically the whole song because David is just like hanging around bored as fuck in the apartment. And we get the entire song of him just like, it's a montage of him just hanging around the house trying to think of stuff to do. And he keeps opening the fridge going, I'm not hungry. And then finally like the song ends and we get, we get what we all came here for. Yeah, baby. Oh, my God. The fucking transformation scene. It's it's fucking insane. It's gross. It's... Oh, God. It's it's everything. Did you know about this scene before? Oh, yeah. I, I knew about this scene. Have you seen it, though, before? No, I hadn't actually seen it before. Okay. But I knew, I knew this scene from... Was iconic. Yeah. And, so, we get another version of Blue Moon. We get Sam Cooke's version, which is a little more fast-paced and... A little more modern sounding. Blue moon, 
saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart, in my heart Without a love of my own It is a weird juxtaposition between that and David's transformation. Again, it was done completely practically. It's a two minute long sequence, which doesn't seem like a lot when I say two minutes, but you You feel every second of that two minutes. Bone snapping. Yeah. It's, I mean, I love it because it just seems like it's, it's visceral. You feel it because you hear the bones cracking like Scotty was saying, but also it's like, it's, it just seems so realistic because in so many the movies like this where people transform into something, it kind of just, sometimes it just happens in like a fade. Yeah. And it, you know what I mean? But like this is, it's grounded in a realism that is really just stark and it just kind of shocks you. Well, yeah. Oh, it's very shocking. The thing is about like transformations, unless you go real practical like this, you're never going to get as good as this. Yeah, I think they put a lot of eggs in this basket. I mean, it took months for them to plan it out. It took a week to film the actual scene. A lot of it was done with an elevated floor. And then David Naughton's head and arms were like sticking out of the floor with, I guess, just the werewolf body on top of him. It's it's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a lot. They go through pretty much every part of his body and just show it stretching and cracking and bleh. And then, yeah, he goes out into the night, werewolf David. And just slaughters six people. Sure does. <laughs> sure does. And he wakes up the next morning in a fucking zoo in a wolf enclosure, which I think was a real zoo, real wolf enclosure. I think they only had one take in there because David Naughton was scared shitless. And he's like, okay, I'm done. I did it. (laughs) Which, like, understandable. Um, But he has no memory of what happened. So he weirdly wakes up in a wolf enclosure. Stark naked. Yeah, stark naked. And then we get the scene that I kind of referenced before where he's kind of walking around naked. And then he haggles with a kid who has a bunch of balloons. He's like, give me your balloons, kid. And then he runs home with balloons covering his junk. And he steals also a woman's jacket. Uh, but yeah, the doctor sees the newspaper about the six people dying. Oh, yeah. Well, before that, we didn't even mention, like, oh, yeah. while David and Alex are having hot shower sex, the doctor that was treating David, Dr. Hirsch, he ends up going back to the slaughtered lamb because he's just suspicious of the whole thing. And he talks to the guys that were in the slaughtered lamb about the whole situation. And they play, they all play dumb. They're like, oh, I don't know these American boys. I don't know what you're talking about. But, uh. And then later on when he's leaving, one of the guys in the bar, I guess he just feels like really guilty and freaked out. So he tells the doctor, like, things aren't right here. That boy, he's dangerous. He could be a danger to himself and others. And he's, he's going to transform. And it's like... The doctor basically just thinks that, like, it's just collective craziness. Like, I know there's an actual term for that, but it's basically, like, hive mind. Like, where everybody's fucking believing the same delusion. So he basically just thinks David's crazy. Which, okay, even if he did believe that, and this whole town is nuts, Mm -hmm. you should still be taking this 
way more seriously than I feel like he's taking well, it. Well, when he comes back, he goes to Alex and he's like, hey, I know like he's been staying with you. So like what's been going on with him? I think he needs to come back here. I think something's really wrong with him. So after the whole murder scene, when David comes back in the morning to Alex's place, she's like, okay, we're going to go see the doctor because the doctor wants to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And then he, David hears about the murders and he immediately thinks that he's responsible and kind of freaks out. Well, it's so funny because the way he's acting, he's like, I feel great. Oh, yeah, I baby. feel amazing. Oh, yeah, baby. He like, wants to fuck Alex so bad. And I'm pretty sure they do. But I'm sure they do. Fuck it. Yeah, sure. And then, yeah, he hears about the murders. He tries to get himself arrested. Does not work. Yeah, he runs up to a cop. At first, he tries to turn himself in, and then the guy's like, what the fuck? Okay, you're weird. And then he just starts screaming random shit. He's like, the queen is a slut. I'm like, what the fuck? Shut the fuck up. And then um, he's arguing with Alex, because Alex also is concerned about him, and she thinks that he's delusional because David just says to her, like, Jack told me this was going to happen. And she's like, Jack's dead. Jack's dead. What are you talking about? And he just goes, I'm dangerous to be around. I can't be around you. I love you, Alex. I can't be around you. And he leaves. I love you. I mean, listen, he's a young boy who's been through a lot of shit. And he just had, he he clearly bonded with this woman. And they have had many much sex. And he's going through a very emotional time. So, yes, he loves her. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It will work out in the end. Sure. Sure. They'll make it. With love, everything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> love lifts us up where oh, we belong. Oh, no. <laughs> so we have some kind of sad sequences here, but also some comedy mixed in. We have a purely sad scene, though, where he goes to the phone booth and calls his family and nobody's home except his little sister. And he's like, just tell mom and dad I love them and I love you and da da da. And he tries to slit his wrist, but he loses his nerve and he can't do it. And then he walks out of the phone booth and it's just by happenstance he looks across the street and sees jack standing in front of a porn theater jack's just like come on in (laughs) well we should have seen this coming because during one of the kills earlier on there's a clear advertisement for the porn theater oh really in the subway oh i didn't see that because it was like join us for the orgy and that's what's on the marquee oh, of this okay. porn theater. So well, like- no, there's something else on the marquee, which we got to talk about. <laughs> Before we actually get into the porn theater, which I do want to talk about that whole sequence because it's great. But outside of the porn theater, there's a marquee and it says, see you next Wednesday. And I was like, oh, my God, they're advertising for Shoot the Flick because we, of course, <laughs> Shoot the Flick episodes almost every Wednesday here on Shoot the Flick Wednesdays. Check us out every Wednesday. Remember what day? What Wednesday. day is it? Wednesday. So I was going to mention that. And then I was like, is there actually a porn called See You Next Wednesday? So I, t- I looked it up. I did research on See You Next Wednesday. No, listen, this is a real thing that's happening right now. Okay. So I did research on See You Next Wednesday. Apparently, did you know this, that John Landis made this up? Like, See You Next Wednesday is a John Landis thing. It's like a fake movie that he made up and he puts in like all of his movies, like references, See You Next Wednesday. I did not know that. He, it, there was a wiki page 
about see you next Wednesday. Jesus. And all the movies, the John Landis movies that it's referenced in. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is so crazy. So apparently the porn movie, if you didn't know, that's playing in American Werewolf in London in the porn theater scene, is called See You Next Wednesday. Which, this porn movie. It's a lot. Yeah, let's talk about this whole sequence. Before we get into yeah, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. serious No, shit. please, let's, let's do it. Because this is like the perfect example of like... John Landis fucking weird comedy like there's out of nowhere this in young- this dramatic ass scene there's like little bits there's out this, of this porn movie there's this young couple having sex <laughs> in a porn, in you, a porn yeah. you don't say and this big huge mustached guy walks in and goes I told you not to do this and the guy goes who the fuck are you and he goes you I'm, I'm not, not talking, talking to you. you I'm talking to her she goes I don't know who you are either and he goes Oh, that's. I guess I got the wrong room. And then oh, he leaves. okay, and leaves. And we're like, wait a minute. And then they'll go right back to the dramatic fucking scene between Jack and, and fucking David. And it's like, what? what? And, and that they, happens multiple times. And then they come back to the porno, and she gets a call during the sex, answers it, goes, hello? Oh, th- that person's not here. Okay, have a nice day. And it hangs, hangs up the, up the phone. phone. And it goes back to... So it's just so weird. And then, like, there are dramatic moments in the conversations in the porn theater. Or, like, at one point, a police officer enters the porn theater looking for David. And you just hear, like, dramatic... Like, like uh, porn mowing sounds. And it's like, ew, I don't like... What the fuck? It's so, it's so awkward that it's, you have to laugh, which is, like... It's great for this movie because it's so heavy at times, especially towards the end, that like you need that little release of levity. Not d- release is maybe the wrong word to use in this scenario. In the porn theater? Yeah, maybe. Um, what? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> no, rest in peace. <laughs> Don't judge that, man. What else are you supposed to do in a porn theater? Just have a good time. So in the actual scene in the porn theater... David goes in the back row to talk to Jack, who's sitting back there. And Jack is so decayed that he has become a puppet now, which kind of explains Frank Oz's presence in the movie. (laughs) We have a puppet here, a puppet zombie Jack, which apparently I think Griffin Dunn also helped like operate it, uh, which is kind of cool. It like, you know, gave him a little... uh, hands-on piece of the action there also probably a bad choice of words for a porn theater but it's fine so they're talking and um you know fucking jack's just like annoyed he's like i told you this was gonna happen fucking idiot he also introduces david to his six victims from the night previous and he's obviously very upset and he doesn't know what to do but then there's another really great injection also wrong choice of words uh, of comedy in here because literally all of the victims are trying to also now convince David to commit suicide and giving him like different ideas on how to do it. The gun! I know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? Madness. No, a gun would be good. Yes, you just put the gun to your forehead and pull the trigger. But if you put it in your mouth, you'd be sure not to miss. Thank you. You're all so thoughtful. There's the guy he kills in the subway. Which is our most... Who is incredibly British. Like, the oh. most British man to have ever British. Yes. Uh, he... He's like, I'll have you know. <laughs> this is incredibly inconvenient. Yes. You have the chipper couple, and you have these three crotchety old vagrants. Yeah. Who are like, fuck you, buddy. But, like, he's sitting in the porn theater, and then 
We don't see him turn again, like, physically. No, you don't get, like, the full-on thing from before. But you do see him transform. You see his face change and everything. And then a, just a fucking chaotic massacre ensues. Oh, yeah. Just blood, guts everywhere. The cops come to this porn theater. Oh, yeah. The lady running the porn theater is just, like, in complete hysterics. Like, there's a crazy wolf man in there. They're like, lady, calm the fuck down. Like... What are you trying to do? Well, I loved the first the manager was like, I have to go see what's going on in there. Yeah, and I'll he, go check out the house. Okay. <laughs> he goes in and immediately gets grabbed. Yeah, he's there. Everybody in the porn theater is dead at this point. And then uh, David's there and he kills a cop. He also kills the ma- like the main detective from before in the beginning of the movie who was actually called to like help investigate when David went missing. Yeah, he he, he, gets, he got called back in and he's like, we'll find this fucking dumbass kid, like whatever. Yeah, they're from, and he ends up getting decapitated. Oh you know, yeah, the the head of the Scotland Yard gets his head taken off. But uh, they finally get the the doctor Alex. They all realize that shit's going down at Piccadilly. Yeah, so they go down there. The doctor's just, like, worried about Alex because she's chasing after David. The cops have David cornered. He's full werewolf now. They have him cornered in the alleyway. Now, this is the thing. Okay, so... It's you, not, you had thoughts about the werewolf in this scene, like, well, how it looked. Just because now we're seeing, like, the full werewolf. It's not just the head. We see his full body. Like, it looks a little funny. I, I feel like it looks weird and like it looks just weird and scary like it kind of reminds me weirdly of um sleepaway camp like the last frame of sleepaway camp if you ever seen that movie yes. uh it's not very pc no uh, at all but there is a last kind of shot in that movie that i still can't really look at directly it's really fucking scary it kind of reminds me of that it gives the same kind of vibe yeah it's kind of one of those things like you have to forgive it because it's 1981. Yeah. And I would rather it be practical effects than an attempt at like, you know, I'm glad they didn't like Star Wars it where like they no. take out the practical effects and replace it with CGI later on. Yeah, no, and it, that would look incredibly silly here. But it does. Like, it does in the sequel. <laughs> but like, it, it just, it looks a little funny. So like, you forgive it because you only see the full wolf like twice in the movie. Yeah. But I feel like that's okay. No, that's perfectly fine. I I would rather that. Yeah. But they do have a very sad, sort of tragic ending to this movie. Alex was about to die here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, David, David's in the alleyway as a full-blown werewolf. Alex goes down the alleyway. I, I would assume that she believes he's a werewolf now. I don't think she thinks, like, he's wearing a fucking costume or no, something. No, I, like, I think she still thinks maybe she can... Help him. Help she literally him. says that. Just let me help you. Worst police line ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, this fucking waif of a girl just, like, tackles these fucking cops with guns and shit and breaks past them and goes into the alleyway. David. Please. Please let me help you. I love you, David. There's seemingly a moment where Werewolf David recognizes Alex. You you kind of clock a, a moment of recognition there. Oh, yeah. Before he just straight up lunges at Alex and before he gets at her is shot down by police. 
she's hysterical crying cops are swarming in you look down at david and the camera shows him in his complete human form just riddled with bullets and alex is sobbing and there's really no epilogue to the movie at all the movie just ends right there it cuts to credits and we get yet another rendition of blue moon by the marcells and that's it um hello mr mrs kessler um Okay, so how do we explain this? Um, I mean, they clearly don't give a shit about their kids. They just not. left them to rot in fucking England. <laughs> fucking coma. Like, uh, yeah, that I will never probably understand, but whatever, man. But, like, even it still. It is what it is. Even still. So, your son um, turned into a werewolf and was shot down? Like, uh, how do you. Do you think they just pushed this under the rug? Like,. Oh, they definitely, yeah. I mean, I would assume that they told the parents that he had, like, a psychotic break and went on a rampage and they had to kill him. Like, and now it's just, like, folklore. Only a few people know the truth. Right, I'm or, sure. Or they, they took everybody who was around Piccadilly at that time and just fucking yeah, put I mean, them it's, away. It's <laughs> truly, well, most of them are dead that saw him, I would assume. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's really tragic when you think about the aftermath, too, because it's like this sweet, innocent guy who really wouldn't hurt a fly under normal circumstances is probably now going to go down in history as a fucking serial murderer who was insane. Well, yeah, a taxi driver, when they first learn about the six kills that David does when he first turns into the wolf, compares him to Jack the Ripper. Sweeney Todd, too, yeah. That would fuck you up if you had no control over your own body. Yeah, it's really sad. The reason that this movie is so iconic, just on a character perspective, I think, is it's so tragic because of the characterization of David. I think David comes off as this really innocent, naive, sweet guy. Yeah, he's a goof and a goober, as we previously said, and a dork. But like, under normal circumstances, he could not hurt anybody so it's just so sad that like this is his like legacy now yeah it's a depressing ending to this movie but you know what it it works and i love how they ended it just so starkly like after i remember the first time i watched the movie i was i was like shocked that it just ended there i was like whoa okay really there's not oh okay like, I, I don't know. I guess I figured that he was going to die because, like, there's no other way it could really end. But, like, it still slaps you in the face when it happens because it just ends so abruptly. Like, you think maybe there's going to be some epilogue that kind of has it end on, like, a good note. Like, maybe in the last sequence, that, like, imagine Jack and David come back as, like, force ghosts and just, like, it's okay. <laughs> and, like, Alex has a little werewolf baby and everything's fine. The bloodline fine. continues. Yeah. Like, oh, jeez. Um, that was an American werewolf in London. But Scott, what what do you think about this movie? It's a good movie. It is a very good movie. It's a very different movie for John Landis yes. in a way. Yes. But also not. It's interesting. It's an interesting watch. It's got some moments where you're like, this is so goofy. But then it's got some moments that are like, this is generally horrifying. Yeah, and I think... You couldn't get away with going as dark as they did if you didn't have that humor, even though sometimes it may have seemed off-putting in its placement or whatever, or in its length. <laughs> you couldn't get away with the darkness to that level 
if you didn't have some kind of levity in there to you, offset. Oh, yeah, she needs some levity because you, you can only push an audience so far. It's a weird balance. It really is a weird balance, but I would say it's definitely a movie that if you haven't seen it, it is worth searching out. Absolutely. Honestly, it'd be an interesting movie to see if they ever like went back to the series, but I don't know. Well, actually, I think Robert Kirkman, who was behind the Walking Dead comics, I think there were talks of him producing a reboot or something like that. I don't know if that's happening or even being talked about anymore, but there were t- there was talks about that. And if Robert Kirkman were the one behind it, I would definitely be intrigued by that. It would be interesting. I would be down for a, a reboot or a revisit of some sort to this, maybe even like a series with A24. I know they missed out on uh, Halloween, <laughs> but maybe they can snatch up American Werewolf in London as a property and make a series about that. I don't know. I wouldn't be mad about it, even though this is perfect and I'm okay with this just being in existence and retconning American Werewolf in Paris from existence. That would also be fine. Yeah, you know. Um, But yeah, I'd be okay with it. An American Werewolf in Quebec. Oh no. Oh no, eh? <laughs> That's terrifying, eh? Degrassi is also in Canada. That I know. Psych was also filmed in Canada. So was uh, Supernatural. A lot of shows are filmed in uh, Toronto and Vancouver, yeah. But um, yeah, that was 2023 Spoopy Month. It was. We did pretty good, I think. I think we had a good range. Yeah, we did. We we try to keep things uh, spunky and funky out here in these streets. <laughs> now that um, Spoopy Month is pretty much over, uh, next week... We are going to be right back in normal business as usual with uh, a new month, meaning a new Disney movie. It is also going to be iconic in another way because (gasps) it is our 200th episode of Shoot the Flick next week. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's going to be a great Disney movie, a Disney movie that I don't think Scott has ever seen before. Nope. So, and I haven't seen it in like a long time. I think I saw it once a million years ago. So this is going to be basically a new experience for both of us. And I'm really excited about it. So yeah, until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott. Ooh. Weidenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. Please enjoy Spoopy Month for the rest of this time. Enjoy Halloween when it comes around. Just, uh, you know, have a grand old time. Watch some more spoopy movies. And make sure you come back next week for our uh, magical musical movie adventure go howl at the moon oh leia's getting mad we need to stop this